Hello, and welcome to Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Today's episode is part of our Health IT series from the AMA MSS Committee on Health Information Technology. My name is Matthew Swanson, and I'm a medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine, and I'll be your host for today. Today, we're joined by Dr. Marty McCary, a professor of surgery at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Thanks for being with us, Dr. McCary. Great to be with you, Matt. So we wanted to get into this by asking how you're involved in the health IT space and uh, what you're currently working on. Great. Well, uh, first of all, call me Marty. I think it's uh, better for all of us to have a more approachable environment in the hospital. So um, good to connect with you. Thanks for all your good hard work. Uh, This is a really important space, and I think right now we need to think about technology that redesign care. You know, a lot of people are fed up with healthcare, doctors and patients. If you think about this old model that we have where you come in once a year and we doctors tell you exercise more, eat better, and here's a bunch of meds, and then come back in a year, and people come back in a year and we say, you know, are you doing this stuff? And they're kind of making stuff up and the real answer is no. And we tell them, you bad, bad, non-compliant patient. You know, this is an alienating system that doctors don't like, patients don't like, nobody likes, why are we doing it? And so you're seeing a generation right now of young people led a lot by residents and uh, young doctors who are saying, this is completely broken, let's start from scratch. This is a tech-minded generation, and they're saying, we can do a lot of stuff virtually. We can operate on you, have virtual cameras and sensors set up in your home temporarily, and have a nurse come out and visit. And you know what? Maybe you're less likely to have complications at home because you may not need the emergency rapid response of a hospital for a lot of things, and you're more likely to get an infection or fall because you're not used to going to the bathroom at 2 a.m. in a new room you've never been in before, how can we use technology to empower people? Recognizing some people are not gonna do it. I mean, look at, look at COVID. We had this sort of patriarchal idea that people were gonna go on a smartphone, schedule an appointment, and then show up for their vaccine. Well, guess what? Not everybody works like that. Not, everyone, not everyone's gonna do it. And it was clear to me that, yeah, technology is going to enable a lot of people to get better care. But for other folks, we just need walk-up vaccination centers. So we got to do both. Yeah, of course. No, that makes sense. Uh, And thanks for explaining it, too. Um, To dive a little bit deeper into this this topic, then, uh, what would you say is the impact of your work? And um, have you experienced any challenges with, uh, with with what you're studying and doing? So what we're trying to do, Matt, with uh, my research and what my team's working on is create more accountability in healthcare, accountability around billing practices in healthcare. The billing of medicine is a disgrace right now. To see what hospitals are engaging in with predatory billing and price gouging, taking advantage of people when they come to the hospital, they're coming to us for care, right? They're coming to you and I. We're in the hospital ready to take care of anybody. Doesn't matter who they are, if they're homeless, if they have insurance, we will take care of them. That is our mantra in medicine. And then to see a billing department that's disconnected from care, hunt these people down, sue them in court, which we discovered and revealed in a JAMA paper a year and a half ago, 
exposing this practice of hospitals suing patients who just can't afford to pay their bill and then garnishing their paycheck. And these were, we found and reported in the GEM article, this was, these were people from Walmart, postal workers, food service workers. They had insurance by and large. They've done nothing wrong. They've been taken advantage of by the healthcare system. So what we're trying to do now is we're trying to create accountability so that when you Google a hospital, you don't just see the name and the address and phone number. You see the name and the address and phone number and the average price markup and their performance on billing quality. That is a five-star billing quality score. Do they harass people? Do they gouge them? Do they have half of their patients with metastatic breast cancer in collections where collection collectors are harassing them in the final um, weeks and months of life? That's something that was <clears throat> discovered in a research study, or are they being compassionate? By the way, most hospitals do the right thing. They have fair and honest practices. They take care of people. They forgive bills. Let's let the market reward those hospitals. The fundamental problem in healthcare is we have non-competitive markets. And if you can create competition around the right things, then you can really move markets. So what we're trying to do is recognize that billing quality is medical quality. And financial toxicity is a medical complication. And these things are measurable and they can drive markets for patient navigation. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's really exciting. Then this level of transparency, I can only imagine what it's going to, what it's going to offer to American medicine. Um, so a question that a lot of people have been interested in right now is, uh, has COVID um, impacted your work in, uh, in any way? How has COVID been an influence? You know, COVID is a classic example of a health emergency or something that happens quickly that the medical system is too sluggish to respond to quickly. The research systems, the journals, the NIH funding systems, the IRB committees, the institutional review boards that review and approve research. All of these processes are entirely unable to adapt to a health emergency. And so what we're doing is, you know, our research team has a mission of pushing the field of medicine, pushing them to think about things and challenging deeply held assumptions and dogma. And one of those things that we realized is, and we just did this with opioids about two years prior, right? We got blindsided by the opioid epidemic. It's like, hey, we, we gotta move quick. We can't schedule a meeting at the next annual conference of our professional society and then have a committee discuss. We gotta move tomorrow. And that's what we haven't been able to do well in medicine. And we didn't do that with COVID. So. COVID hits us, nobody knows anything about it. And our research system, our entire research infrastructure, all of our systems are too slow. So guess what? For three, four months, nobody had answers to the most basic questions doctors demanded answers to. They wanted to do this research and they couldn't. There was no funding, there was no support. How does it spread? When are you most contagious? How many people are asymptomatic? Who does it affect most? Do masks work? None of those questions were answered. So you had a vacuum of knowledge. It was, a, it was an embarrassment to the medical profession. All of our, and we were still funding research on five-year grant projects on, you know, Mexican hairless dogs at the NIH. All this stuff, we couldn't pivot one dime of research to ask these most basic questions as we got blindsided. And so a lot of people said, look, our system is too slow. And we led that charge. We led that charge. And in the absence of information during COVID, what happened, political opinions filled that vacuum. 
and we didn't have any data to go to 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 speak to it. And so a lot of we got behind the eight ball and it hurt us badly. So look, we're asking how can we redesign our health system so it can respond quickly, not just with beds in the ICU and nursing staff that's flexible, but also with the research system that can respond quickly. So when a doctor has a question, we can get that answered within days. Right? There's no reason our country, with all of our might and resources, can't do that. So that's really what we're striving for. It's not just COVID, by the way. It's natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, mass shootings, crises like the opioid crisis. These are things we need to respond to quickly, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I know that during COVID, you were uh, filling the space ferociously with uh, a lot of your expertise and opinion. And uh, I know that a lot of people greatly appreciated, you know, what Thank your you. take was on this. And uh, I know I did, at least. Um, Thanks. So to, to, to pivot things a little bit, um, you know, uh, the changes that have been posed, imposed by COVID in the health information technology space, uh, there's been a lot. Uh, what do you think is going to, to stick around? I think uh, the virtual care thing is big, but it's going to swing the other direction because what you're going to find is that there are a subgroup of patients where we really need to lay hands on them. And I think what you're going to see is that pendulum is going to swing way too far in the other direction. People are going to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute we're missing things. And by the way, people appreciate that touch. And the, one of the greatest epidemics in public health that predated COVID that we were not talking about, that we needed to talk about was loneliness. And it was magnified during COVID. And you treat that with communities. And when people come in and see their doctor, as you'll, you know, as you notice in the hospital, sometimes that's the only contact with and the external world that some people have, we've learned that with domestic violence, right? This is the one window we may have to help people who are victims of domestic violence. They may have no and no other contact outside of their household. So um, this is something that I think we're going to realize there's a big role for technology, but at the same time, people appreciate having a human touch with a hand on their shoulder. And we can sometimes learn more from watching somebody. You know, one thing I wish I would have learned in med school, instead of all the Krebs cycle and urea cycle crap <laughs> that they shoved down your brain, you know, for over and over again, you can memorize all these useless, all this useless crap. Yeah. And instead, I wish we, I would have just been taught some basic things like how to deal with uncertainty when you have test results that are not clear, or how to break bad news, or how to deal yeah. with controversy in the, in the research field. Um, and one thing I've learned in learning how to bake, bake, um, break bad news is you kind of want to read somebody, right? You want to figure out how do they want this broken to them? Do they want just doc, just hit it to me straight? Do they want the science? Do they not want the science? These are things sometimes that we're going to lose with the swing towards uh, virtual care. Yeah. Well, uh, Marty, to tell you the truth, I'm studying for my step one exam right now, and I can <laughs> assure you that I wish I was learning more of that than the Krebs cycle and some of these memorization yeah. of biochemical pathways and such. But me, as a, as a future physician, uh, how do you see the future of health information technology in 10 to 15 years when I'm practicing? Well, first of all, it's really interesting to see a lot of medical students come through now saying, you know, I, I love medicine, but I don't want to practice full time because there's so many other opportunities out there. How about starting a company that can solve a problem that nobody is solving right now. How about changing medical education? How about um, partnering with a company, 
an employer group to help take care of their employees as a population in new and creative ways. That's what people want to do. That's the exciting area of healthcare. And to be honest with you, if we're going to see healthcare redesigned, which I act, I really believe we're on the brink of that, and I'm trying to push that in everything I do, it's, it's not going to be the insurance companies that figure it out. It's not going to be the hospitals that figure it out. It's going to be the docs. It's going to be the entrepreneurs, and it's going to be people who think creatively. I'm not just talking about starting a business. I'm talking about redesigning care, recognizing, hey, we need to talk to people with diabetes about the food they buy. We need to maybe teach more cooking classes to people with diabetes instead of just throwing insulin at them. Maybe we need to treat more back pain with ice and physical therapy than just surgery and opioids. Maybe we need to talk about environmental exposures, not just chemotherapy. And you're seeing this movement now to talk about food as medicine and a holistic approach and creating communities. You can't do that in the 10-minute standard fee-for-service traditional healthcare treadmill. And when you look at that model, and I looked at it as a medical student thinking, okay, I got a patient at 8 o'clock I'm supposed to see with this doc. And then there's another one at 8.15, another one at 8.30. And I'd see them and they have questions and I don't know, and the next patient's waiting and I got to run and I don't know, and I'll look it up later and maybe I'll get back to you. And like an hour and a half into it, I was like, holy crap, are we going to go like this all day? And how do you do this? And by the way, I don't like this. Like, no, thank you. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And enough people now are saying, this is a crazy system. How can we redesign it? And that's being recognized as an actual legitimate career path. And I think that's the exciting thing right now. And that's what students should think of. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's inspirational, to tell you the truth. And uh, a lot of change is, uh, is on the cusp, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to wrap things up here, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to share some of the channels that you're public on and uh, where people can connect with you and follow your work. Oh, great. Well, first of all, I love working with students, and I think it's the most exciting area right now. This, this current student um, generation is a generation where social justice is a generational value. And that's what's going to fix healthcare. And so I love the students I work with. And I'd encourage anyone to um, get in touch with me if they like this kind of stuff. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and a lot of the social media platforms. And if they're interested in learning more about my research and all the stuff we've done to stand up for patients and shut down the practice of suing patients, uh, I wrote about it in a recent book called The Price We Pay, which is now available for paperback. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, as am I. I uh, can't wait to give that book a read. Um, well, everyone, uh, that's all that we have for today. Thanks so much, Matt. Well, everyone, that's all for today. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your time today, Marty. This has been Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. You can subscribe to Making the Rounds and other great AMA podcasts wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.